Hello and welcome to the words we use. Have you ever struggled with finding the right words to give meaning, depth, and clarity to your message? We have, and that's exactly what we're going to examine. Come along with us as we expand our communication knowledge. TWWU team, please introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Pat. Hi, I'm Sue. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, I'm Carissa. Hi, I'm Bill. Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Gary. And we are the Word Views. I'm calling this body language light because body language is such an all-encompassing subject that we can talk about it for days and, and really not cover everything. So I thought I'd pick a few topics and then talk about it. And I'm hoping you guys will chip in or chime in with anecdotes or your observations. The first topic I want to talk about is handshakes. Handshakes are a great first impression, either for good or for bad. And like all first impressions, well, handshakes go hand in hand. A nice firm uh, grip combined with a hearty shake, but not too hearty, can imply that you're outgoing and confident. And on the other hand, a, lean, a limp, weak squeeze you know, makes you unsure. So how long you hold a person's hand matters as well. I had an experience a number of years ago with a meeting that we had in our, when I was working in our uh, conference room where we were meeting new uh, investment professionals for the first time. And I'm 5'2", I'm not, I'm not that tall. And this very tall investment professional came up to me and he shook my hand and he squeezed it so hard that I thought my hand was gonna break. I could feel my bones rubbing together. And I said, ouch, why did you do that? And he looked stunned that I confronted him with it. And I asked him, are you trying to confront me? With, are you trying to dominate me with that? Well, he stammered and I said, well, don't do that again. And I, I made a, a firm promise not to talk to that man again, ever, and I haven't. Does anyone else have an anecdote about handshakes they'd like to share? I've noticed, and maybe it's me, but for some reason when I shake hands, people grab a hold of my fingers instead of locking thumbs, so to speak. Yep. Ended up squeezing my fingers for some reason and I pulled away and I just asked them, let's try that again. And I'll actually force my hand, my thumb into his or hers and then don't squeeze too hard. So I don't know if that's what you would call a weak handshake or a reluctant handshake. I can see what you mean about it. There's a certain etiquette involved with just simply shaking hands. I think a lot of us haven't actually been taught the etiquette. And maybe we should go over the etiquette of what is a proper handshake? I like a firm handshake, not one that's going to squeeze my hand to make it the size of a pretzel or a pencil, but just a firm handshake to let me know that well, in olden times that the person does not have a weapon and they are interested in meeting them. Also, let's, let's discuss actually the handshake, not, not just the firmness, but how do you place your hands? Because you don't want to be squeezing their fingertips. You want actually your palms to meet. I'm trying to shake my own hand to think about what I'm doing. And also there's a, how you shake if you're shaking and you force their hand over so that your hand is on top, that is, 
a sign of dominance. So what is the proper handshake that people have heard about? I have some information about the handshake etiquette. Keeping three okay. to four feet between you and the person. Offer your right hand and extend it toward the other person and grab that person's hand. Pump it two or three times and when you have finished, let go of the person's hand and stand upright. I'm not sure if they were thinking they were sitting. But I think there is a distance you want to stay from a person when you're doing a handshake and offering your hand if they haven't offered theirs yet. Yeah, because I think with the distance thing, it might be just that comfort because we always have that kind of personal bubble that we've grown up with. And there are some cultures and people in general that don't understand that kind of bubble beforehand because I've had handshakes before where someone kind of went in to like a handshake hug type thing and it's just an awkward situation because you don't know how to react to that when you're just like oh this is more than just a handshake wonderful and it just gets very uncomfortable. I've experienced that too where they'll sometimes if they might know you a little better they grab the hand, the hand placement is palm to palm, but then they also grab your elbow and pull you into them. Mm -hmm. But that's, so it's, it's you know, taking away that four foot space, but it also is a form, sometimes I feel of, of affection or liking somebody or getting also eye contact. If, if you have a hand in, you don't get good eye contact. I think eye contact is very important. Well, a lot of this handshaking business or etiquette is probably regional just within the United States, never mind the entire world. Mm -hmm. Like we had one lady in our club, we weren't allowed to shake hands with her because she was Muslim. People from the opposite mm -hmm. sex didn't touch like that. So mm -hmm. it's hard to know what all the rules are. That's true. What, what different types of handshakes have you run into? Like. I saw there was a comment on Donald Trump's handshake where he actually pulls people off balance. And there's analyzing it that that was very dominating handshake. Mm -hmm. And I've had those really weak ones where it feels like you're almost just have the limp hand and those are so uncomfortable also. What types of handshakes have you encountered? I find the, the limp handshake where they don't even go into the palm of your hand and it's very limp and they just touch your fingers. I find that very offensive because it's like they don't really mean it. They don't want to touch you. They don't want to know you. They avert their eyes. It's almost like they don't like you. If that's where you're going to shake my hand, don't even bother. Just say hello. Let's just be done with it. Yeah. I think women do that more often. Not sure. I, should, I don't know if I should say that. Sometimes women do that. Sometimes sure. men do, but usually it's women, I think. I, I agree with you. And I tend to also lose a little respect when people have a handshake like that. It's like I almost emotionally see them as a little bit weaker, which should not be a criteria, but I, I do lose a little bit of respect for them if they give a really bad handshake. So how do we learn our handshaking method from our parents, from friends. I learned mine through the military. 
and I'm not sure if Bill had the same experience, but I, they were essentially, you sat down and they told you how to salute and how to pay respects to other people and how to give a proper handshake and we all had to practice and it's just a thing that you did because it kind of gives the sense that if you had a weak handshake, then it's not, you're not comfortable in your, for yourself. So you have kind of a, a trust issue that if you're not strong within yourself, then you can't really just like, yes, here I am, nice to meet you, kind of forthcoming type of feeling that you would give of more of a community. What was the criteria for a handshake in the military? Specifically, it was, they explained that a handshake, kind of what Sue said, but they also gave the little notion of you would feel like you would bend your fingers kind of back a little bit and you would slide your palms against each other. And then you would hit, once you hit the kind of crease of the thumb, then you would close and then shake a couple of times and then you would just let go. Of course, nowadays we can't really handshake or do anything, but maybe once we can, we'll work on it. <laughs> I don't remember receiving any training in the military about handshakes. I may have, but it was probably long enough ago that I simply don't remember. But mm. I do remember shaking hands with somebody while in the military and thinking, wow, do I have a fish in my hand or am I shaking somebody's hand? And <laughs> no, seriously, the hand, the handshake was so limp and so weak on his part, mm -hmm. I thought, I really don't want to know this guy. Mm. I made an effort while we were in the same unit, really to avoid it. Because hmm. I didn't, I, well, number one, I couldn't trust him. Hmm. Uh, I just felt uncomfortable. And it was that first impression that he had made. That's interesting because I've never put a whole lot of weight in a handshake. Well, I think it's also part of your first impression of a person. And those Still. can be very, they last quite a long time, your first impression either good or bad. The next topic I wanted to talk about is posture. Just as an observation, there's a reason people say they're in a slump when things aren't going their way. Studies have shown that slouching your shoulders can make you hold on to your stress and emotionally make you feel sad while standing up straight can help you feel positive and come across as confident and focused. I read a comment by a cartoonist and he said, if you want to make somebody popular in a cartoon or in real life, they need three things. They need a warm smile, good eye contact, and good posture. I think I do judge people a lot on posture because I remember going into a networking group and there was a lawyer there and she was all kind of hunched over and, and kind of curled into herself. And my first thought was I would never hire that lady because I didn't think she would be able to represent me in court. I didn't think she'd be strong enough. Also, there's been studies on people that are victims. When, when your posture is stooped over and you're looking down, you're more easily identified by criminals as a victim. Whereas if you're standing your posture upright and you're looking, it exudes confidence and you could fight back. So I think that's important. Posture is very important. In dancing, 
Posture is essential, essential. Ease of movement to reduce pain for looks. If you're in a competition, the first thing they look at is posture. That's the first thing they look at. The minute you get on the floor, if you don't have good posture, you've got marks against you before you take the first step. You don't even have to, yeah. It's, it's very important. It's how we get our first impression about people. And that's even before the handshake. That's true. I understand what you're saying about looking like a victim because ever since I had a problem with my hip, I've had to use a cane or a walker. <laughs> I swear it's happening more often than ever that people expect me to get out of the way. It's interesting that it's not the other way around. I mean, because as children were taught, we should be helping people who have maybe have trouble going through doors. I guess a lot of people are very impatient. They just want you out of the way. They don't like the... I've noticed that, that, that patience is a lot less than when I was younger. Maybe that's part of it. Well, when I've used the cane, Jerry, for my legs, when I have difficulty walking, I have noticed that people are really polite and want to open the door, want to help me walk something out to the car. Interesting. I know, it's, but I'm I'm short and I'm a woman and you're tall and you're a guy, so. I know we're getting off the subject here. It's more posture, but uh, when when I was at the Como Park Zoo with the kids last summer, I was going, going around on an e-cart and it hit the button to open the door for the handicap. As soon as the door opened, people would pour out from the other side. <laughs> and I'd have to wait for them to come through before I could get through the door. What What is the different posture between a man and a woman? I mean, what is considered proper posture for a guy and what is proper posture for a gal? Because women, I think sometimes if we get too, we're, we're seen as too aggressive. Whereas a guy, I don't think has, has that impression a lot of times when he when he gets a really good posture and he's, he's like maybe bigger than life. And I, that's an interesting observation. I... Uh... Having grown up in New York, New York City, where people are assumed to be aggressive, I have come away with thinking that there's no difference between the posture of a man or the posture of a, of a woman. Maybe due to the fact that I'm attracted to stronger women, who I married, I like a woman who stands, whose posture is, is straight and, and feeling and looking confident. I assume that guys would be the same. They're standing tall, broad shoulders, feeling confident feeling in command of yourself, at least, I would think they're pretty much the same, at least in my view. I tend to disagree with you a bit because when I watch women, like in a crowd, they're more likely to have their shoulders hunched a bit as if trying to protect themselves. When they stand, they're more likely to have their legs crossed because these send out off signals that they're, they're more submissive. So maybe I'm just looking at different women. I notice like a lot of women, I just want to kind of shake them and say, hey, stand up, you know, be proud of who you are. But I think a lot of women are, it's a protective thing. That is an aspect I want to talk about in another podcast meeting when we talk yeah. about body language. But as just as an aside, when I took a body language class with or seminar when I was in sales, we were taught about how to approach when you're going into a meeting, how to approach a man versus how to approach a woman. And if you See if I remember this correctly. If you approach a man directly, that's fine. If you approach a man indirectly, or maybe it's the other way around. Oh, if you if you approach a woman indirectly, you're automatically suspect. You must approach a woman face on. Whereas a man, you can approach from the side, and you're not perceived as a threat. But a woman, seeing you come from the side, would be 
will be perceived as a threat. Now that we're getting off the topic of posture here, just as an aside, that uh, that is an observation that seems to be true. Women, we're all our lives we're taught to be more aware of threats and danger. So I can see how that would be applicable because at least most women are judging, is this safe for me to be here? Is this safe for me to, to interact with this person? And they, they judge it on body language a lot of times. So Carissa, were you also taught about posture and what that means when you went through training? Yes, especially with posture because we had to march in ranks and everyone had to be the same. We had to go with the same flow and to be what um, Bill was saying about how your posture kind of, when you're, if you're slumped, then you're like heavy and you're kind of down. But if you stand up tall, then it gives you muscle memory of this is just how you are, which then hopefully translates into your mental thought process of about who you are as a person. So it just kind of lifts you up again. I would think having good posture would indicate that you're interested in somebody, interested in what being, what's happening, that you are paying attention. Does anybody during our meetings notice the posture of the members <laughs> sitting around the table when you're giving a speech? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah, that indicates whether they're interested or not. No it does. <laughs> I've been so aware of it, I make it a point to make sure I lean in toward the speaker to show interest, try to maintain eye contact myself. But a couple of people that it's difficult when you look at them, you just don't seem to have their attention. Right. Learned not to take that to heart. But boy, if I was a first-time speaker and I saw that, that'd be a little unnerving. It's amazing how just sitting, just the way you sit, can convey so much. Exactly. And then there's posture, sitting posture, and then there's posture when you're standing or walking. But all of it does tend to um, have an impression on other people, which I really haven't thought about until Bill mentioned it today. So thank you, Bill. That I can help me. How about stance? That kind of related to posture. Your stance really sends a, a message. Standing uh, wide and uncrossed with legs uncrossed and arms open gives an impression that you're open and available. Staring at the ground or keeping your arms crossed across your chest are more likely to send a signal that you're, you're either out of reach or you're angry. Mm -hmm. or you're closing off all communication. Has anyone experienced that in their lives? I, I think also the tension of the body because if somebody is really tense, even though they have good posture, but if they're really tense, it seems like they're very angry and maybe going to attack. The energy they put off, are they relaxed or are they very tense? Also, it's a measurement that we look at. And with the arm crossing, um, I was just watching a, a video on Joe Navarro, and he wrote the Dictionary of Body Language, and he was talking about how Potentially, the crossing of the arms is actually more of a self-soothing mannerism instead of being aggressive or closed off because they just need to comfort themselves and maybe it's a situation that they're so angry at that they don't know how to express themselves or they're just really uncomfortable. It's kind of the idea of when people are looking up and to the left or right, they're potentially lying when in reality, they're just processing the information that was given to them instead. I think there's not just like one body language 
you have to take into account how they usually stand and how they're they're moving and how they are in this situation. You know, a lot of books, they say this or that, but there's so many nuances that we see in the real person that we don't see in a book. How about locking eyes, eye contact? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a big one. All right, so locking... Uh, uh, locking your eyes or a steady gaze uh, really creates a, a mixed bag of emotion. Uh, if the person you're talking to is comfortable with you, they're more likely to find you trustworthy if you hold eye contact. Here, on the other hand, if they're unsure about you, a long look away, or rather a long look into your eyes may, may even seem threatening to some people. I know some cultures are like that. You don't look directly in their eyes when you're talking. But no matter what anyone thinks of you, Everyone has an eye contact threshold where things start to feel a bit awkward. I know in this seminar that I that I took a number of years ago, the guy talked about male eye contact versus female eye contact. And the thing I remember, please, the women here, tell me if this is true or not, but if a woman looks at you in the eye for more than four seconds, she's attracted to you. Now, I've never had that problem. So the ladies, <laughs> can you confirm that? Is that true? Well, yeah, if you're looking at them for like 30 seconds or a minute, yeah, that's true. But I don't know about four seconds. Yeah, he said four seconds. Use that number, four seconds. That's awful quick. In Nicholas Boothman's book, he talks about sticky eyes. And this is how to, to get close to conversation with somebody. And between the genders, it's very different. If, if two women are looking at each other, they can look for as long as they want. If a guy is looking at a woman, there's only a short, it's a shorter period and then he needs to look away. But if he is talking with another guy, the time period is even shorter. So wow. it depends on who you're talking to and what gender they are and what gender you are as to how long you keep your eye contact connected. It's called sticky eye where you go a little bit longer than most people are comfortable with. He was trying to show how to build rapport. If you go too long, then they start feeling threatened. But I don't remember the exact seconds or how many. Mm. I just remember that it, it depended on gender. I, I know in my circle of friends, I'm friendly with both men and women, obviously. For some of us, we've known each other a long time. And so staring into their eyes, me staring into their eyes, I've never felt that they thought they, that I was threatening. And, I've, and certainly I've never felt threatened by anyone locking eyes with me in this social group that I'm a part of. Now, I see it, I can see it at a, at a business meeting or a seminar or some other place where you don't know everyone. That could be a problem. But I think in an intimate group, there's nothing sexual about it. It's just something intimate but not sexual. Do you, you understand? That you're comfortable with that person or with that group of people. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference what type of group you're in. I also think if somebody is giving me eye contact and I'm getting uncomfortable and I look away and I look back and they're still staring at me, that really makes me uncomfortable. And I'm not sure why. Is there a reason that I would feel uncomfortable for that? Maybe that's part of your threat response. Well, I think it's that, that whole, you know, power, who has more power, who has less power, who's dominant. We are still animals. And so even though we don't express that or think about that much, we still have those feelings. When I'm speaking to a large group from a distance, making eye contact isn't too tough. But when I'm talking to somebody face to face, I keep thinking, 
Okay, which eye am I supposed to look at? <laughs> Can't look at them both at the same time. Right. Tend to switch back and forth. I have a tendency of looking at someone's nose or this part between. Okay. So then if I am speaking, when I am speaking to them and they like furrow the brow or something, then I notice that and then I kind of step back a little bit. And kind of respond to their facial reactions. Mm -hmm. I think for me, part of, uh, because of my um, hearing loss from the military, I find myself when I'm in a conversation with someone one-on-one, -on -one, I find myself looking at their mouth more than their eyes, although I do try to maintain eye contact. But I look at their mouth because I'm trying to understand the words that they're saying. Now, that's been mitigated somewhat because now I have hearing aids provided by the VA. For decades, when I didn't have them, I developed that, un I unconsciously developed that habit. So I would be able to understand what they're saying. Bill, I just heard, probably on TV, of a woman who works with deaf and hard of hearing people with the masks that people are wearing now that they are, are losing all sorts of information from the mouth, whether it's just the movement, the smile, whatever. So she has made a mask that has a plastic cutout so they can watch her mouth now. I was at a meeting and Patricia Fripp, who is a nationally known speaker coach, was there. She made sure that she was standing in a place that had a lot of light where people could see their her face because we actually hear less when we don't see somebody's face. It's harder for us to hear them when we don't hmm. clearly see their face. That's an interesting observation on her part. So true, yet my parents loved listening to WCCO in the morning. And what was the attraction of that? They, I guess they told jokes and they laughed and it sounded like a conversation, more so than a speech or giving you directions. Well, going back to sticky eyes, I have yeah. a funny anecdote. A few years ago, we had a Japanese foreign exchange student, and she went to Washburn. Well, I had a, a son who would skip school. So one day, the principal at Washburn called me, and they said, Snai wasn't in school this afternoon. So when she got home, I looked at her directly, direct eye contact, and I said, okay, the principal called and said you weren't in school, so where were you? And to my surprise, she fainted right on the kitchen floor. She just, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I went, okay, no direct eye contact. <laughs> oh, my God. They don't look directly at people. They do not look directly at people. That's too confrontational. So, anyway, she was okay. <laughs> I just know that in my job as a teacher with young children, the children who have autistic-like tendencies are, have difficulty looking at people's faces. It's easy for the, easier for them to look at a person's face when that's the only thing they have to do. Otherwise, they, if they're talking, they may need to look down, they may need to look away. There's a lot of research and information about children and adults with autism and eye contact. And forcing eye contact in, in that situation puts a lot of stress on the person who has autism. I remember years ago when I was on the racetrack and I would be assigned to exercise a, a particular horse or even ride a horse in a race. Before getting on the horse, I would always try to make eye contact with the animal. I go to the front because they, they their eyes are almost on different sides of the head, almost, not quite, but widely spaced apart. 
and make eye contact, rub their nose, and then, you know, mumble a few words, maybe, and then hop on. And I tried to do that before, every, every time before getting on the animal, just to establish some sort of rapport. And they sure. knew who I was and what's going on. If somebody won't make eye contact with you, and I'm not talking about autism, but like I was at a Toastmaster meeting and I was talking to an evaluator and he was looking down and just writing and doing whatever. And it made me feel like he was not interested in what I was saying and that I didn't have very much worth in his world. He wouldn't even listen to me. So we need to be very conscious of how we use eye contact. Was he different from a different culture? No. I had the feeling that he just felt he was too important to bother. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I have to remind myself of that also because sometimes when people talk to me, I want to write down what they have to say, and I'm not giving them the eye contact, and it's like, oh, you need to stop and at least acknowledge them and, and indicate to them that you're listening rather than continuing to write notes. It's important to keep up that relationship with that person. I was told years ago when I was the evaluator for a speech, it made the speaker really self-conscious about what he was saying to see me jotting down notes while he was speaking, even though I was paying attention to his speech. And I kept looking up to listen to some and then write it down. It just made him so nervous about what he was saying, so careful to make sure he was saying the right things, instead of just getting up there and presenting the speech. I hadn't thought of that that way because that's how I do evaluations. I tend to write down a lot of what they say. Mm -hmm. I had never thought about it putting pressure on them. What's he writing now? Yeah. What did I say? Was it good? Was it bad? Do any of you feel pressure when you're giving a speech when people are writing? about your like your evaluation I haven't i've gotten used to it i'm used to it yeah i tend to not realize my, my eyesight is pretty bad so i don't even realize they're doing that how about tense lips mm. if you tend to press your lips together you, you got to know, liars are more likely to have this habit than people who are telling the truth. And that's literally. Uh, tight lips can make you come across as uh, untrustworthy. When you have tight lips, it's hard for you to smile. That's true. Also, I, I tend to think people with tight lips are maybe angry at me. Like they're trying not to say something that they'll regret, that they're really angry at me. And, you know, they're just trying to hold back those words. Or maybe not trying to bare their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> or bite me. <laughs> okay. well, yeah, you know, it's a sign of aggression. Well, I do um, clench my teeth and also kind of um, do some sucking motions when I'm thinking about stuff. And so I know that I have tight lips. I did not realize that that's, that they're, they can be interpreted that way. So that's helpful for me to know, though. Thank you. My kids would always tell when I was angry because I would make a sucking, <laughs> sucking sound. Well, they knew they had pushed me too far. Go. <laughs> they knew to back off. So I keep getting a joke about that by my kids. I think that might also be a, a cultural thing. I remember working in New York with them, um, and I was at the headquarters of a large chemical company. Uh, and I was an accountant, 
And we had this guy from Japan who was working with us for about six months. He wasn't quite an intern. He was working for our company, our subsidiary in Japan. And they brought him to New York to work in the headquarters for a while. Well, whenever anything made him either angry or upset, he would look at the piece of paper or whatever he was focused on, and he would suck air through his teeth like that. And then say something in Japanese that, of course, nobody understood and right. didn't really want to know. <laughs> I, I remember a few instances where he did that. He happened to be there during the time that uh, Shogun, the miniseries, was being aired. And because of him, we were all speaking Japanese in the hallways as we passed by. We'd say something in Japanese. <laughs> and he would tell us how to say it, what it meant. And it was fun for a while. I remember that sucking through his teeth, sucking air through his teeth when he was upset. You know, the numbers didn't work out or something. He'd show his displeasure. I know with the, the tight lips, I think it also is a sign of stress because when you would, well, I would watch some of the court hearings on TV, like the national court hearings, and you could tell that the people that were there for days on end, they were just kind of very tight-lipped and just overly stressed because there was a lot of information they had to get across. and they're on TV and it's a national thing. So I think that's also a thing to think about that if a person is might be guilty, but also just under a lot of stress. The next thing I want to bring up is uh, mirroring. Mm -hmm. Copying the way someone's standing or sitting or facial expression, even their linguistic accent often builds trust and understanding between the two people. Uh, it doesn't always work, uh, especially if you're in a position of power over the person you're mirroring. Uh, it can make them feel kind of weird. Another barrier, and this is kind of, I guess, a modern thing, is Botox. If a person oh. has Botox in, in injections, they can't move their, but their facial, they can't change their facial expression. And so that adds another major wrinkle into reading their body language. Mm -hmm. yeah. My boss, for instance, has had at Home Depot has had uh, Botox injections, and it almost appears as if he's had a stroke because one side of his mouth, and I know he hasn't had a stroke, but one side of his mouth does not move very much, and the other side is fairly animated. Yeah. In my other Toastmasters group, a, a woman has had Botox injections. Uh, I guess in this area, yeah. and she cannot lift her eyebrows. Wow. And so there's no like this. You know, she can't do that, which is an indication of either happiness or displeasure. Or it's another message sender. She cannot do that. Mm -hmm. So mirroring someone's activity or expressions or how they're standing also sends a message of either pleasure or displeasure. So how do you use mirroring, Bill? That's a good question. I don't know. I, I don't know how I use mirroring. I get, for me, it's something unconscious. I do remember an instance where I was talking, I was a child, a child, an adolescent, and I was talking to my teacher, and I, I wanted to go to the little boy's room, and so she gave me a facial expression, and I mirrored it. And I remember consciously mirroring, or unconsciously mirroring it, and then being conscious of the fact that I had done that. And then, of course, she let me go out the door and go do my business. 
But other than that, I don't, I don't mean, I don't have any recollection of mirroring someone's uh, activity. That's a new concept for me. I may be doing it, not realizing it, but yeah. I'm gonna have to watch that and see if it applies. You know, I'm guessing that all the things we've, we've talked about are really unconscious. If you're trying to say an untruth and you want yeah. to appear appear as being honest. Yeah. Then you're being conscious of sending that message. But if you're doing it unconsciously, I mean, how do you tell the difference? Maybe so, yeah. I know that I use mirroring, kind of going back to the mirroring case, but I use mirroring, mirroring when I'm working with very young children and infants to see if they will return a smile to my smile or if they're smiling and stop and then I smile back to them if they will mirror that. And so I. That's probably where I've done the most mirroring, and very purposefully, too, because I want them to imitate me. I mean, you know, tapping your mouth as you're making a ah sound, um, and then having them do that. Or if they suddenly say something loudly, like a ah, then you imitate that back to them. So you're, you're mirroring what they're doing. And that's a fun way for them to learn language. Mm. As adults, I don't know that we... Purposely use mirroring with many activities, unless you're teaching a cooking class or a knitting or carving or something that you want them to follow what your hands are doing. I. It's it's a way to if you mirror somebody, you can feel the emotions that they feel. I don't remember where I heard this story, but the, a guy was talking about he had walked into his room, a room. And his sister was there with a gun. She was going to commit suicide. And he sat down next to her and mirrored her body language exactly. And just for a while, you know, just for a while. And then he started to slowly move, you know, getting up a little bit straighter or whatever. And he was eventually able to bring her back and have her give her give him the gun. So he was able to lead her because he mirrored her first. And then she mirrored him to a different emotion. I forget where I read that story or saw it. It was a very emotional time for this guy because that's all he could think of to do was to sit next to her in her exact position. And he stayed there for a while and then he started moving out of it. And I'm not sure if anyone's um, said this, but for mirroring, I think, especially in business, maybe that would be a good thing if you're trying to sell something or to make kind of some kind of deal that you would mirror the person that you would want to connect with and hopefully they would, they would like you more than say another bidder or something because it gives them like oh we have something in common of course i agree with you i think for me in, in sales at a sales meeting that would be an indication that the person is interested in what i have to say it might be make it might tell me that i'm close to Closing this deal. Okay. Uh, they've listened to me. They've understood me. They've appreciated what I, what I have to offer, and that don't overtalk it. Close the sale. You're almost done. You know, and Sue mentioned uh, mirroring children that she works with. I guess <laughs> I do that more often than I care to admit with my grandson, and it, it's a way to communicate with him. But at what point does mirroring with an adult become mocking? Right. Right. Point. Yeah. I think when I turn three. <laughs> <laughs>
The next uh, item I want to talk about is touching your face and your hair. Oh, good oh, one. Oh, my gosh. We're ready for a big one here. Uh, tw uh, twirling a lock of hair, of course, I don't have to do that anymore. Or brushing back your bangs, or bringing your hands to your to your face, can sometimes come across as flirty, uh, self grooming. Uh, but behaviors like this may seem like may seem like you're hoping for attention, or it may seem like you're not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. I know in a sales meeting. When I'm listening to someone who's trying to sell me, say, insurance or, or something, and if I ask a question and I see them touching their face or hiding a portion of their face, I'm immediately suspect that I really need to know what the real answer to this question is. So don't touch your face. Well, maybe it's a nervous mannerism, or maybe they have a an itch. Why are they nervous? If there's a reason they're nervous and they're touching their face, then I, maybe I need to know what that reason is. I think sometimes it could be just a facial tic because sometimes I wear contacts and I forget that I wear contacts sometimes. So I go to my face to fix my glasses and they're not there. And sometimes that kind of comes across sometimes it's like, oh, hello, are you interested? Are you not thinking about anything or what's behind it? Behind it? It's like, no, it's just, I'm not wearing glasses today. It could also be nervousness because I noticed that people hide their their mouths sometimes with their hands when they're not maybe confident enough or they're in a situation where they, they feel like they're being judged. No, that's true. That could be true. But just be aware that other people or lots of people have other impressions and they may think that, okay, maybe you're nervous. Maybe you're flirty. Maybe you're not telling the truth. Just realizing that doing that, touching your face somewhere is a type of body language and you may not be indicating anything, but to be aware that other people may interpret it. Or you may simply have an itch. So do you say, oh, I have an itch. Depends <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on who you're talking with. <laughs> That's true. In a business meeting, I probably wouldn't do that. Of course, at my age, I don't have to worry about that anymore. No one's going to throw away. Another aspect of body language is, is hand gestures. Now, I, I come from New York, and I lived in an Italian neighborhood. Now, can you imagine having a conversation with an Italian who's not using their hands? Oh, Lord, no. No, 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 no. Hands are an integral part of any message that you're going to get from that person. Hand gestures can be very humorous, I think. So you want it, it but, the, but the long and the short of it is, if you want to be memorable, if you want people to remember what you're saying, talk with your hands. Because that's the take I have from growing up in, in Brooklyn. When you gesture as you gab, it's more likely that your words will linger in someone's mind because there are other actions associated with your words. And they'll combine all of those together in a certain compartment in their brain, and they'll remember much more easily than if you didn't. Does anyone here know anyone who speaks with their hands? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, my son-in-law has to speak with his hands, and he doesn't realize that when you're driving, that's not a good idea. <laughs> I find 
using my hands is very freeing. When I'm trying to think of something, I automatically use my hands. Like when I'm giving a speech or whatever, if I have movement in my body, it's easier for me to talk and think at the same time. Yeah, it kind of like gets you to physically search through the file boxes that you have in your brain, probably. Some people, when they talk with their hands, again, depends on what the rest of their body stamps the face, whatever it looks like. But the pointing and the um, almost looking like they're pushing, pushing you back. I do watch hands quite a bit, and it is interesting to see how, uh, how an angry person or a friendly person uses their hands. Because I work with other cultures, and if I ask somebody to do something, and if it's really urgent, I have to say now. I mean, I actually have to say, I want it now, and I have to use my hands. Because if I don't emphasize, they sometimes will just go about their normal pace. So I really have to emphasize and I have to use my hand gestures. Another thing I found out is I really have to be aware of my hand gestures. So for instance, I, if you beckon somebody with your hand, that's disrespectful in some African cultures. And I had no idea, you know, come to report, come, let's come do this. It's, it's, so it's very disrespectful. So I really have to watch and get to know the person well as well, the people I work with. And sometimes they have to get to know me and understand that I am not being disrespectful. It goes both ways. But yeah, it can be very uncomfortable. You just have to be aware. How about smiling? Oh, a good smile is contagious. Like Carissa's smiling right now. And so, so is Sarah. When you smile at someone, it sends a signal to their facial muscles to do the same. So their smile triggers parts of their brain that deal with happiness and your brain as well. And they feel, they hopefully they feel a, a greater sense of connection with you. It, it depends on the smile and the situation. Because I've read articles where women are uncomfortable, especially if people say, well, you should smile more. Mm. Because we're expected to smile and just in a good mood and nice all the time that there's a lot of pressure sometimes for women to smile when we really don't want to. Or but, times when we really don't have anything to smile, like you're just walking up and doing your general daily things and you hear that, it's like, why? I'm just going to my car. I'm, I'm just trying to get through my day, kind of a feeling. So do men, do you ever have people come up and tell you to smile? Is that common? <laughs> oh, boy. That was the first thing I was told when I joined Toastmasters. Smile more. I'd just say I am smiling. But but in I'm talking about the general, not Toastmasters, but just in general life. Yeah. Because they they do that. Yep. Oh okay. You don't look very happy. So I wonder what why the pressure is to to that everybody should be smiling. I don't know, but I do know that um, somebody was teasing me, and I didn't like it, but I kept smiling because I, maybe I was nervous, or and I finally told that person what they were doing was making me angry, and I guess I still had a smile on my face while I was saying that, and I didn't even realize it. I think awareness I had when I was in college, and so I tried to monitor when I'm upset or not liking something that I'm not smiling when that's happening. 
because it definitely is a, it conveys something body language wise. It's interesting. And I was in Farmington. There was a guy I was coaching. Well, we didn't coach the same teams, but we both coached. And Dave would tell me, you watch me. The more I'm smiling, the more I'm laughing, the angrier I am. And after he pointed that out, oh. boy, was that true. And it was just, he had to be careful because if he came off as serious and confrontational, well, that'd be like trying to pick a fight. But if he smiled and he laughed about it as he was saying it, he didn't get the well, the same response he might have. He got their attention, but it didn't create a big, big battle between the two of them. I've had evaluations. One of my first or second evaluations when I started back to work a few years ago as a nurse, my supervisor said, the other staff think you're angry, you're not smiling enough. And I said, excuse me, I've got a lot on my mind. I've got 50 patients to take care of, I'm responsible for. If I walk down the hall, I have to remember 10 to 15 different things before I get back to my office. I'm preoccupied. I'm not angry. I, I shouldn't have to smile. That, I said, that's ridiculous. I just, I discounted it. And I, you know, I went about what I do. I mean, I'm aware. I don't want to come across as angry, but also people need, need to realize sometimes people are just preoccupied or thinking about things. I shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be in my evaluation that I, I don't smile enough. I was just going to ask if anyone's encountered another person that you've known giving a fake smile and you can just tell. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. that's easy yeah. to see. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a book called The Like Switch. It is written by an FBI agent. Oh, yeah. And if your smile is asymmetrical, and now this is if somebody doesn't have, you know, have had a stroke or their face is asymmetrical, but if their smile is dominant on one side, usually their do where, where their dominant hand is, it's a fake smile usually. Because they can crinkle their eyes. We've always been taught to look, look for the crinkle of the eyes, but that's how you figure out if it's a real smile or not. It's if it if both sides of the mouth are symmetrical. Okay. I've, I've had my grandson give me fake smiles a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, Grandma, that was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting how important smiling and facial expressions are when we're talking. They are near critical, so you can get a good sense of what they're trying to say. I mean, it's so important that they had to create all these little circular things called emojis for our emails so that people could tell that we're kidding when we oh. say something that's supposed to be funny, but it's so easy to take the other way. And look at most of those emojis. There's some version of smiling. Most of them are. That's true. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, good to point out. Yeah. I think people expect other people, maybe especially women, to be smiling all the time because they want everything to be okay. They want to think that everything is okay. It's like when you ask, how, how are you today? They don't really want to know. They just want to say something nice to you. And hopefully you'll say, oh, everything is fine. Meanwhile, your whole world is crashing. They just want to know that it's okay. So that's why they want you to smile for them. So I smiling would be like saying yes and... Frowning and be like saying no, <laughs> yeah, which we're not supposed to do. They seem to um, 
be very aware of whether you're smiling or not. At least when I was working with four to five-year-olds, the one little boy came up to me several times during the year. Are you mad? I'm like, no, you're not smiling. Oh, okay. And I don't know that the other teachers smiled that much either, but I just thought it was pretty interesting that he was so observant. And I think other kids are also observant as to whether you're smiling. It tells them whether you're in a good mood and when to, you know, when to be cautious or on your best behavior around a teacher because they're not smiling. I think that kind of behavior is especially true for children of, say, alcoholic who have to be very perceptive, see what mood that naughty person in their life is, uh, is experiencing mm -hmm. uh, and how to, how to defend themselves. That may be a defense mechanism, unfortunately. Yeah. If you're a person that's known to be smiling most of the time and you don't, well, then they think there's something wrong. But if you're somebody like me who looks serious all the time, a smile is something really special. <laughs> Gary, a smile from you is always special. Come on. <laughs> and how often do I do it? <laughs> Not often enough. Just kidding. I'll work on that. <laughs>